Welcome back to the Der Show. Today, what I want to talk about is what's going on in, in Georgia and particularly the investigation that is being conducted involving Rudy Giuliani and um, others. Um, what I'm worried about, and I've worried about it for years, is the weaponization of our criminal justice system. Uh, when you think about what's going on, a criminal investigation based on essentially a phone call from the then president of the United States to the secretary of state of Georgia, in which he says, essentially, find me the 7,000 votes that I need to win Georgia. Now, to make that into a crime, you have to interpret that statement as manufacture, create, concoct 7,000 votes. Obviously, that's not what he meant in context. What he meant in context was do a careful investigation, check every ballot, make sure that nobody who shouldn't have voted voted, make sure that nobody who should have voted's vote weren't counted. And I hope you'll come up with 7,000. The same thing happened during the Bush versus Gore uh, campaign. Um, efforts were made, tremendous efforts were made by the Gore team to try to find 600 votes, 700 votes. Um, and in the end, uh, the Supreme Court stopped them from trying to do that by refusing to grant a stay. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a deep concern that this becomes a criminal charge. I mean, if I were defending this case, I would go back in history. Look at the Jefferson election of 1800, the manipulations that were going on, efforts that were made to try to get senators and, to, and congressmen and others to change their votes, uh, uh, quid pro quos that were offered. We know that that happened. We know that that happened during the Tilden Hayes uh, election uh, when uh, John Adams um, beat uh, Andrew Jackson. The name of that election in history is called the corrupt bargain. And, and what happened was Andrew Jackson, who lost the election, claimed it was stolen and campaigned for four years against Adam and persuaded the American public and the voters that he was right. And eventually, in a rematch, he, he beat him and became a president for two terms. I'm not suggesting that will happen. In this case, I'm not even suggesting it, it should happen. I am just trying to put it into a historical context or take even the last election before this one, the 2016 election. A member of this very January 6th committee, my former student, Jamie Raskin, tried hard to get the votes not counted, tried hard to uh, prevent the election of Donald Trump. And he didn't do anything criminal. He did something political. And we have to make a sharp, sharp distinction between politics and between uh, illegality. And so what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that eventually yeah, I can see that they're going to call people in front of the uh, committee and Rudy Giuliani is going to be a star witness. And the question is going to be whether he testifies or not, um, uh, whether he claims privileges. Uh, he was, after all, the president's lawyer. Um, he probably can invoke privilege as to some things, as to conversations with the president and as to what's called work product. That is work that he did in connection with the representation of the president. But there will almost certainly be some questions that he could be asked about his conversations with people who are not necessarily related to 
any kind of, of privilege, whether it be presidential or executive privilege. And of course, there's always the final recourse that something Rudy Giuliani and no lawyer ever wants to do. And I don't believe Rudy Giuliani will do it, but it's available to him, the privilege against self-incrimination, the privilege that says that nobody has to answer any questions, not because they're guilty, but because it might give rise to evidence or an inference of guilt. And so, as the courts have said over and over again, you can't infer guilt from the invocation of the privilege against self-incrimination any more than you can infer guilt from any other legal claims. I know when I make claims in court, exclusionary rule claims, for example, I try to keep evidence out, evidence that might prove my client's guilt. Uh, people say, oh, you shouldn't be able to do that. That's, you know, that's admitting your guilt. But remember, and this is going to sound strange to many of you folks out there, the object of a criminal trial is not to determine the truth. Yeah, you heard me say it, unlike a congressional hearing. The object of a criminal trial is not to determine the truth. It's not a scientific quest. What do I mean by that? If it was a scientific quest, we wouldn't have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Whoever heard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt in science? In science, you go with the probabilities, 51% versus uh, 49%. In science, you don't have exclusionary rules. You don't let the right of privacy. I'll give you the terrible example that people give all the time. Let's assume that this horrible, horrible Dr. Mengele, who did these twin experiments and, you know, deserved, deserved the death penalty and unfortunately escaped it and, and drowned um, in Argentina or Brazil or somewhere. But uh, let's assume that in doing these horrible twin experiments in which he killed young children and twins, let's assume he discovered the cure for cancer. Would we refuse to have it? No, we don't have exclusionary rules in science. We wouldn't give him the Nobel Prize. Uh, we wouldn't honor somebody like that, but we would use his research. Uh, that's not the way we do it in the law. In the law, if you got the evidence in violation of due process, then that evidence is not uh, admissible, not going to be used. So uh, a, a criminal trial is a quest for the most truth that we can get consistent with our other legal rules, consistent with the right of privacy, consistent with our statement that better 10 guilty go free than one innocent be wrongly confined. Imagine that in science. Imagine in science if we use the rule like that. We don't because the object of a criminal trial is not pure truth. Look, it's great when truth comes out and it's terrible when uh, guilty people are acquitted or innocent people are convicted, but we've made a judgment that it's better to acquit the guilty than to convict the innocent. And I can tell you from my own experience, when I have brought about the acquittal of people who I think might be guilty, and by the way, nobody ever tells me they're guilty, but if I have brought about the acquittal of somebody who I think is guilty, you know, I can sleep okay at night. That's part of the system. But if I ever, if I ever help bring about the conviction of an innocent person, I could never sleep. I don't think I've done that. I might have in one appeal case that is still now pending where the court found error after error after error and said all the errors were harmless. We're still litigating that case. Uh, and I believe the, the client is innocent. The defendant is innocent. But it's the, the worst feeling to lose a case on behalf of an innocent client. So, you know, the criminal justice system performs a lot of functions and has a lot of goals. I can tell you one goal it doesn't have, and that is advancing the political interests of one party over the other. 
And what I'm afraid of, not only in the January 6th committee, which isn't a criminal trial, but is designed to advance the prospects, not only of one party, but one ideology. And everybody on the committee is a, a, a Trump hater. Look, I didn't vote for Trump, so uh, I'm not uh, doing this to support uh, Trump. Um, for, for me, though, the idea of not having a fair hearing in front of an impartial arbiter whether it be a jury, a judge, or a congressional committee. Now, we know Congress is filled with politicians, so we do it differently. In a jury, you're disqualified if you have a bias. Usually in Congress, everybody has a bias. So we try to balance the committee to make sure if the Democrats are in control of the House, the committee will have 12 Democrats and nine Republicans. Okay, uh, the Republicans lost. They don't have control of the House, so they only get nine. But those nine get equal time. They get their five minutes. They get their opportunity to ask questions, but not the January 6th committee. Yeah, there are two Republicans on it. Uh, one of them has quit and no longer going to be a member of Congress. The other one will probably lose the Republican primary, but both of them are virulent uh, Trump haters. In fact, one of them recently said, we don't want to hear Trump. Uh, we don't want to hear his side of the story. We want to hear Pence's side of the story, but we don't want to hear Trump's side of the story. That's a member of Congress that is sitting on the committee saying we don't want to hear one side of the story or another member of the committee, uh, Jamie Raskin, again, my former student who I, I like personally, who was asked about what about the triple hearsay that that woman who said that the president tried to grab the, the wheel, um, why didn't you essentially call the eyewitness or the earwitness? Uh, instead, you're using uncorroborated hearsay testimony. And and Jamie said, uh, Congressman Raskin said, it's corroborated. And they asked him, how is it corroborated? And he said, well, it's corroborated by her own testimony. No, no, no. Jamie, you probably missed that class on hearsay that I taught. Um, you don't corroborate a witness's testimony by their own testimony. You corroborate it by physical evidence, by other testimony, by eyewitness testimony, by earwitness testimony. But you don't corroborate a witness's testimony by the witness's own statement. So um, I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm worried that the precedent today, which is being imposed uh, on uh, Trump supporters by Trump haters, that that precedent could lie around like a loaded gun and be used five years from now, 10 years from now against Democrats by Republicans. And you, it surely will. Because nobody in politics today passes the shoe on the other foot test. Everybody in politics always looks to their own uh, political advantage. Um, you know, when I was a kid, everybody read John Kennedy's Profiles in Courage. It was around 300 pages. Today, if somebody tried to write Profiles in Courage, if it could fill three pages, it would be a lot. And it would always be about people who were former members or people who were leaving Congress. Uh, the one thing that people who are in Congress rarely do is show courage by putting their own electoral possibilities subordinate to principles. And, you know, we've seen it sometimes. I think Senator McCain may have done it on a couple of uh, occasions. He was an unusual, unusual man. And I'm sure there have been a few senators as well. So maybe it's five pages, not three pages. But if you ask me about, you know, current politicians, the idea that you can expect 
fairness, objectivity, neutrality, passing the shoe on the other foot test. Nah, I just don't think that's in the cards uh, today. So let's get back to Rudy Giuliani. Um, I've known Rudy Giuliani for what, 50 years, I guess. I first met him when he got out of law school. Uh, he was a prosecutor. I was a defense attorney. Um, we had a really difficult case. My client was a kid from my neighborhood in Brooklyn um, who had belonged to an organization called the Jewish Defense League, which believed in using violence against the Soviet Union, which was oppressing Jews. And so my client, uh, who was a science student, an engineering student, made a smoke bomb which was planted in the office of Saul Yurok, the man who brought Soviet talent uh, to the United States. And the Jewish Defense League didn't like that. They had a slogan called bullets for balalaikas and uh, uh, bombs for ballerinas. And so they put the smoke bomb in the Saul Yurok office, the Empresario's office. And tragically, a woman was killed uh, by inhaling the smoke. Ironically, it was a Jewish woman. And, um, and the family of that woman never has never spoken to me because I defended the, the, the man who made the bomb and uh, won my case. And, and um, he was acquitted along with all the other people. But the lawyer on the other side, there were several lawyers on the other side. One of them was a young kid right out of, right out of law school named Rudolph Giuliani. And he was just brilliant. I mean, he was unbelievably smart. And although he was like a kid, I mean, he was younger than I was. I was probably Let's see, I was probably 31 or 32. He was probably 26. Uh, um, everybody in the office looked to him as a leader, even though he was a, a young kid. And, you know, then he became um, um, uh, number three person in the Justice Department. Then he became the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. We fought like children. I disagreed with many things he did, but I always invited him to my classes on legal ethics at Harvard Law School so he could present a prosecutorial perspective. And to his credit, he invited me down to New York to speak to his assistant U.S. attorneys to present to defense attorneys uh, a point of view. And so I always liked him. I didn't like the fact that he grew up in Brooklyn and was a New York Yankee fan. Ugh, why would you be a New York Yankee fan? Well, he explained to me that the New York Yankees had Phil Rizzuto, Yogi Berra, Joe DiMaggio. And as a proud Italian-American kid from Brooklyn, he was going with Rizzuto and, and, and DiMaggio and, and, and Yogi Berra. Um, and, uh, but he was a Yankee fan. I was a Dodger fan. In fact, once we went to a Yankee game together and we showed off our rings, I had a, a Boston Red Sox world championship ring that I had gotten. And, uh, he had a Yankee ring. And of course the Yankees had a lot more rings than the Red Sox, but, uh, and this year, oh my God, what the Yankees are doing this year, how they're destroying the Boston Red Sox. Sorry for that. But oh, the last two games were, uh, beyond belief in any event, Rudy Giuliani, so he was a great lawyer. And uh, then he became the lawyer for the president in a cause that I believe in the end was not the right cause. He argued that uh, the election was stolen and that the rightful president was Donald Trump, not Joe Biden. I disagree with that. But he had the right to make those arguments. We want lawyers to make those arguments. We don't want people to go into the streets we don't want the January 6th invasion in the Capitol. We want lawyers to try to use legal remedies and political remedies. And, and the question is, where is the line? Where is the line between tough legal and political action and criminal action? Look, 
the reason that we lost Bush versus Gore was not because Gore got more votes uh, or less votes rather than than Bush. Gore in Florida, more people wanted to vote for Gore than Bush. But I have to tell you that the other side, uh, the Bush side, had much better lawyers, a much, much better legal team. They were aggressive. They counted every vote. They challenged everything. They went to court. And in the end, they won unfairly, I think. I think the Supreme Court ruled five to four in a partisan way in their favor, but nobody investigated them. Nobody tried to indict them. Nobody tried to indict the Gore lawyers. By the way, by that time, I was not a Gore lawyer. I had been representing the voters in Palm Beach County, and then Gore said we don't want to litigate that case. So by that time, there were other lawyers involved in the case, but they were outlawed. And that's why a president of the United States, a president of the United States, was actually elected by lawyers and judges, five Republican judges and some very good Republican uh, lawyers. And so I just don't want to see the criminal justice system used and abused, whether you agree or disagree. And I disagree with some of the tactics that were used legally um, to try to change the outcome of the election. I disagree with some of the uh, political views. By the way, I agree with some of them. Uh, the challenge in Pennsylvania was absolutely legitimate. Pennsylvania, um, the, the 12th Amendment, specifically provides that the legislature can determine conditions for voting. And in Pennsylvania, the legislature didn't extend the time for voting. The executive branch extended the time for voting. And that was unconstitutional, and they were right to challenge it. The courts eventually didn't deal with that because they essentially said there weren't enough votes to affect the outcome of the election. But it's perfectly proper to challenge in Arizona, in Georgia, in Wisconsin, wherever they challenge. It's okay to challenge. It's okay to bring legal cases. Now, obviously, if you bring cases that are utterly frivolous, that are based on made-up facts or made-up law, that's a different issue. But uh, I don't think that uh, the Giuliani investigation will in any way lead to that. So my, my deep, deep concern is not for Giuliani. He's a strong guy. He'll be able to defend himself. He has good lawyers uh, defending him. My real concern is for precedent. My real concern is for what this says about America and how it reflects the weaponization of our criminal justice system. Because just remember, today it's the Trump people who are being investigated. Tomorrow it'll be a Republican who's investigating the Democrats. You know, I wrote a book called The Case Against Impeaching a Trump. Do you know what the original title of that book was? The Case Against Impeaching Hillary Clinton. Because I thought, everybody thought Hillary Clinton would get elected. Actually, in August of 2016, I predicted maybe Trump would win. But uh, everybody thought Hillary Clinton was going to be elected. And the Republicans had threatened, on the day she comes into office, we're going to impeach her. And I started to write a book, The Case Against Impeaching Hillary Clinton. Well, something happened on the way to the forum. Um, Trump won. So I switched the book. I made it into The Case Against Impeaching Trump. Same arguments. I would have made the same arguments. And I wish Hillary Clinton had won for a lot of reasons. I think she would have been a great president. But also, I'd be the most popular person in Chilmark, Massachusetts, on Martha's Vineyard at Harvard Law School for defending Hillary Clinton, making exactly the same arguments I made on behalf of Trump. 
I would be on CNN every night, people praising me. Oh, my God, what brilliant arguments Dershowitz made on behalf of Hillary Clinton. But you make the same exact argument on behalf of Donald Trump. Uh, uh, uh. The same thing's happening now, even with the Abraham Accords. Uh, you know, they were a great contribution to peace in the Middle East. Will they lead to peace in the Middle East? I hope so. I can't be sure. But uh, but that's uh, but many Democrats won't give uh, Trump credit for that. They are trying to undercut it and they're trying to undermine it. If the same thing had been done by Barack Obama or by um, a president, Hillary Clinton, people would be praising it to the sky. That's not the America I was brought up in. You know, again, I'm a fervent baseball fan. Used to be a Brooklyn Dodger fan. They moved away. I don't like it. I don't like the Los Angeles Dodgers for that reason. It became a Red Sox fan. But when Derek Jeter came up to the plate, I would give him a standing ovation. When Judge comes up to the plate, I give him a standing ovation. I recognize the talent on the other side when Mariano Rivera pitched in relief. My God, I, I all I could do is wish he had been been a Red Sox, but I'm not going to attack him or demean him because he happens to be wearing a uniform of the team I don't support or agree with. But that's what's happening in politics today. In politics today, it's worse than sports. It's worse than sports. You think in sports, you can never say anything good about the other side, but real sports fans say good things about the other side. But in politics, they don't say good things on the other side. So, Elon, do you have any live questions for me today that uh, you might be able to read to me and uh, and uh, let me uh, let me respond to? Are there any questions that look like they're 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 uh, uh, interesting? Because uh, I didn't get very many today. Um, so. Um, so let me know what you think. One second. OK, you got anything? I'll look in the meantime to see if I have anything. Okay, here's one that I get all the time. I get this all the time. How could an American Jew vote Democrat considering the left's anti-Israel policies and actions? Wise up, my Jewish friend. President Trump's historic progress from his Middle East peace initiatives were trashed on this fake president's first day. Support Middle East peace, not liberal back wars. In November, every American patriot must vote every Democrat out of every political office. So it's interesting because just today I wrote a column on that in which I talk about how I have been really basically thrown out of the Democratic Party. They don't, they don't seem to want my money anymore. They don't seem to want my, uh, my support. Um, and um, uh, I'm in turmoil about it. I'm not, not in turmoil, but... Um, I'm frustrated because I can't vote Republican. I can't bring myself to vote for a party that doesn't support a woman's right to choose, that doesn't support gay marriage and gay sex, that doesn't support uh, contraception, that doesn't support climate control, that doesn't support reasonable gun control. I'm with the Democrats on that, but I'm with the Republicans today on free speech, on due process, on Israel, on a lot of foreign policy issues. So I think of myself as a, a man without a home. Um, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Case for Liberalism, but the subtitle is the interesting thing, Why I Left the Left and Can't Join the Right. That's where I am today. I, I, am, no, I am not a member of the left, certainly not the hard left. I'm a liberal libertarian. 
But people write me all the time, letters like this, saying I have to join the Republican Party. I cannot join the Republican Party as long as they take positions they take, which are so against the social policies that I stand for. Look, I have a, a brilliant, brilliant brother-in-law. Brilliant. Um, uh, you know, went to Harvard, got PhDs, and just, just brilliant. And he used to be a Vietnam War protester and uh, very left. And uh, he's gotten fed up um, with the left. And so we fight all the time because he has become a Republican. And I say, I can't be a Republican because I can't support a party that is against abortion, gay rights, you know, et cetera. His answer is very interesting. He says he's also on the side of gay rights. He's also on the side of a woman's right to choose. He's also on the side of these other social issues. But he says they're not as important and they're not as central to the presidency of the United States as are the issues that really separate the Democrats from the Republicans and the Republicans are on the right side of. So he doesn't disagree with my analysis. What he does is prioritizes very differently. And I have friends on the other side. I have friends who um, uh, say I could never, under any circumstances, even though I disagree with, with uh, the Democrats on Israel and even though I love Israel, uh, even though I disagree with the Democrats on uh, the woke culture and free speech, I can never vote for people who don't support, you know, because gay rights are more important, because um, um, because uh, abortion rights are more important. That's an interesting debate, an interesting discussion, an interesting dialogue, and it's one that I'm 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 pretty happy to have. Um, you know, my um, my um, letters tend to be very very one sided. They tend to almost all be right wing, which is interesting because I think my viewers are more of a mix than my letters are. Um, okay, so let's get a couple of more letters. Elon, do you have any letters that, that are live? What do you think? Okay, uh, nothing really. Okay, so um, let me uh, let me. Do you have uh, anything else or not? I have a couple more things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, here's one uh, that um, my son Elon won't like, but uh, he says, why have all the podcasts available online? Yours is probably of the lowest technical level. Hey, I'm 83 years old. I don't know how to work a computer. You know, you get me as you get me. I'm sitting in my office at home. Um, I'm working off uh, a, a computer that somebody bought me, but I don't know how to work. And uh, so, you know, just like uh, I, I always say, you know, you don't hire me for my looks. I have, uh, you know, a face made for radio. If you want to listen to me and watch me, it's for the content of my views, not not the high tech, not the high tech of of what I am um, uh, able to produce. Ah, OK, here's my last question for the day. This is so lovely that Dersh is sticking to his principles. But does anybody believe that there is somebody on these forums who Professor Dershowitz has ever managed to convince to change his mind, ever. And he knows it. So what is he trying to accomplish? What is he trying to accomplish? Well, I'm trying to put principle back into debate. I can't decide whether you're going to comply with my views or listen to my views, and I'm not so interested. Uh, as a teacher, I never try to convert anybody. My job was not to teach them what to think, just to teach them how to think. 
And I see that as, as my role here today. If, if my way of thinking about things, shoe on the other foot, neutrality, morality, principle, uh, helps you become a stronger conservative, so be it. Um, I'm not proselytizing. If it moves you to my point of view, more as a centrist, liberal, libertarian, so be it. But that's not the purpose of this pro podcast. The purpose of this podcast is not propaganda. It's information, education. It's to have a little fun, uh, to read some letters, to express a point of view. And so I'm going to continue to do it. And, you know, if you don't want to listen, that's your options. So let's come back uh, on Monday next week. I'm sure a lot will happen in the meantime, tomorrow night. Uh, there's going to be another one of the kangaroo show trials. Um, watch it, but watch it with skepticism. Remember, you're not hearing cross-examination. Remember, you're not hearing witnesses that are from both sides. Remember that they don't want to hear from President Trump. They only want to hear from uh, Vice President Pence. Remember the context in which you want watching this. And then come to your own decisions. That's what America is about. Take care.